morning, church family. Well, it's wonderful to see all of you here today on what is the first Sunday in the month of December and our first Sunday working our way through the 11th chapter in the Gospel of Mark. However, before we begin this morning, I just wanted to thank everyone who came out to our Christmas tree lighting on Friday night, for it was a wonderful time of food and of fellowship and of some fire pits and much, much more. So again, a big thank you to everyone who came out and who made this year's Christmas tree lighting such a special and wonderful event here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. Now as for the sermon this morning, as previously stated, we will be starting today in Mark chapter 11, and we'll be looking specifically this morning at verses 1 through 11, or at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ triumphal entry into Jerusalem, or into the place where he, Jesus Christ, would ultimately be handed over to be crucified. Nevertheless, this triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into that of Jerusalem, well, it comes to us, church, as we saw last week, right on the heels of Jesus Christ healing a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus who, as we saw back in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, was sitting by the roadside. And as Jesus Christ was leaving that of Jericho, blind Bartimaeus then, verse 47, began crying out and saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And although many in the crowd who were following Jesus Christ at this time began to rebuke that of blind Bartimaeus here, Jesus Christ here, as we go on to see in verse 49, he then stopped and said, call him, to which they then did. And blind Bartimaeus, well, he then, church, threw off his cloak, sprang up and went over to Jesus Christ, only to be asked by Jesus Christ, for what do you want me to do for you? And of course, blind Bartimaeus here replied back to Jesus Christ, By saying to him in verse 51, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. To which Jesus Christ then says to him in verse 52, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately then, as John Mark puts it, this once blind man named Bartimaeus, for he then recovered his sight and followed that of Jesus Christ. Displaying here, church, as Pastor Ricardo touched on last week, just a beautiful picture of what genuine Christian discipleship truly should look like. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Blessed be our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The one who came into this world to fulfill the law and the prophets and to save his people from their very sins. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Blessed be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who came into this world to fulfill the law and the prophets and to save his people from their very sins. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 11, specifically to that of verses 1 through 11. And if you are joining us today 
and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free at this time to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have your very own copy of the Word of God. However, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles this morning, please also then read it, starting today, right here, right now, by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 847, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 11 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 11, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethany, and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those, fo- those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can gather this morning on this Lord's Day and praise you and worship you and glorify you as one body in which Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the head of. Father, I pray this morning as we work our way through this text, My burden for each of these dear brothers and sisters in Christ this morning is that after reading and listening and hearing this text proclaimed this morning, that they leave here today with a desire, Father, to praise your Son, Jesus Christ, like never before. Father, it is the only natural, most reasonable and sensible response we as individuals who have been cleansed and saved by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, can have when we fully grasp who this Messiah, Jesus Christ, truly is. The one who fulfilled the prophets, the one who came into this world to save us from our sins, 
and the one who will come again for his bride, the church. As I praise that you open the eyes, you open the ears, and you soften the hearts of this dear congregation this morning, Father, to see who Jesus Christ truly is and to leave here today praising him like never before. Father, help my lisping and my stammering tongue. Help me to rely completely on you this morning and to be confident in the text, not because they are my words, but because they are your infallible and perfect and inerrant word. And help me, Father, to deliver this message to these people, to edify them, to build them up, and above all else, so that you, Father, be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Jesus Christ came into this world to fulfill the law and the prophets. Point number one, Jesus Christ came into this world to fulfill the law and the prophets. Verses one through seven. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem... To Bethany and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now before we get to the text this morning, church, I just want to point out at this time that although we still have six more chapters to go as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark, that chapter 11 here, church, begins in essence the last week of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's life here on earth, or begins what is commonly referred to, church, as Passion Week upon Jesus' triumphal entry into that of Jerusalem which is exactly what we will be looking at today. And thus with that said, the text then, church, picks up here in verse 1 by saying that when they, Jesus Christ and his disciples, and likely that of some other followers, including that of Bartimaeus, drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethany and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Likely indicating here, church, that Jesus Christ and his disciples and the rest of these aforementioned followers at this time have traveled from Jericho to Bethany, which was located on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives, about two miles away from Jerusalem. And that they then continued on to a district called Bethany, which was likely located somewhere in between Bethany and that of Jerusalem. To which Jesus Christ then sends two of his disciples, the identity of which we do not know, and says to them in verse 2, go into the village in front of you, likely referring to that of Bethany, 
And that immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. However, Jesus Christ, he does not stop there, church, but goes on to say to them in verse 3, that if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Jesus Christ using the word Lord here, likely to refer to that of himself here, church, and to that of his own divine authority here as well. And thus with those details and those instructions now in mind, Jesus' two disciples then, who were mentioned back in verse 2, for they then, as we go on to see in verse 4, went away and found the colt tied at a door outside in the street, just as Jesus Christ had told them. And thus they then, verse 4, untied it. However, while doing so, as we go on to see in verse 5, some people then who were standing there, potentially even that of the cult's owners here, church, for they then say to Jesus' disciples, for what are you doing untying the colt? To which Jesus' two disciples then say back to them what Jesus Christ had told them to say all the way back in verse 3. That being that the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. To which these aforementioned people then as we go on to see in verse 6, simply then just let them go. Seemingly because, church, they knew who this man named Jesus was, had heard all about what this man named Jesus had done, and ultimately then respected and accepted the authority of this man named Jesus as well. And thus with that, Jesus' two disciples then, as we go on to read in verse 7, for they then brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he, Jesus Christ, sat on it. Which in all honesty leads to the question here, church, for why exactly does Jesus Christ here desire and request a colt or that of a small donkey here? I mean, is Jesus Christ hurt here? or too tired here, or simply being stubborn and thinking that walking was now beneath him here? And of course, the answer to all of those questions is, absolutely not. And I say that because some 500 years earlier, before any of this ever took place, the prophet Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, for he wrote this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And thus our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for he wanted the donkey here, church, as Matthew chapter 21 explains, in order to fulfill what was written of by this prophet here, or as James Edwards puts it, because the cult of a donkey was identified as the mount of the Messiah here. And thus, because of that, Jesus Christ then, church, didn't just go walking into Jerusalem here, nor just go strolling into Jerusalem here, nor just get carried by a horse, by 
by a chariot or even that of a camel into Jerusalem here. But instead, he, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, who was completely committed to doing the will of his Father and fulfilling exactly what was written about him by the prophets of old. For he, Jesus Christ, then, church, rode a donkey into that of Jerusalem here, which, make no mistake about it, did not take place here, church, merely by chance. Well, I read an article this week about a man by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner, who was a professor of science at Westmont College in California, and who actually wrote a book called Science Speaks, where he wrote about the law of compound probability, particularly in light of the possibility of Jesus being able to fulfill randomly just eight of the prophecies written about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Again, not all of them, church, just eight of them. Those prophecies being that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, that a messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah, that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend, that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that the betrayal money would be used to purchase a potter's field, that the Messiah would remain silent while being afflicted, and that the Messiah would die while having his hands and feet pierced. And in short, what Dr. Stoner found was that the probability of all eight of these prophecies being fulfilled randomly or accidentally in the life of one person would be 1 in 10 to the 17th, or 1 in 100 quadrillion. To which Dr. Stoner then, in order to illustrate the meaning of this number, wrote, Imagine filling the entire state of Texas knee-deep with silver dollars. And that included in this huge number of silver dollars was one single silver dollar with a black check mark on it. And then imagine sending one single blindfolded person into the sea of all these silver dollars, covering the entire state of Texas, mind you, and then asking that person to pick out one silver dollar. And the odds that that coin would be the one with the black check mark on it would be the same odds as the eight aforementioned prophecies all being accidentally fulfilled by this man named Jesus. And thus be in awe, be in wonder, and be in absolute admiration here, church, over the fact that how your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ desired and obtained and procured this donkey here in our text today was not just some random or some whimsical or some really lucky turn of events, but that instead this was an event here, church, where he, Jesus Christ, displayed his sovereignty and his omniscience and control and foreknowledge as the divine Son of God himself all in order to do the will of his father and to fulfill exactly what was written about him as the Messiah by the prophets of old, which most certainly did not take place here, church, merely by accident, luck, or by chance. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Jesus Christ came into this world 
not to save us from our political enemies, but instead to save us from our sins. Jesus Christ came into this world not to save us from our political enemies, but instead to save us from our sins. Verses 8 through 11. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So once again, after Jesus' two disciples bring the colt, or that of the young donkey, to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ then, verse 7, sits on it. Many people then, as we go on to see in verse 8, church, spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut down from the fields, or that of palm branches, as the Apostle John informs us of in John chapter 12 which is a scene that most certainly seems to be recalling that of 2 Kings chapter 9, where it says that when Jehu was anointed as the king of Israel, that with haste, verse 13, that every man of them took off their garments and put them under Jehu or on the steps in which Jehu would walk. And yet this crowd here, church, for it does not stop there, And I say that because as we go on to see in verse 9, those who went before Jesus and those who followed after him began shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna here meaning save now or save, I pray. And yet... Despite these people here, church, welcoming and celebrating and seemingly acknowledging Jesus Christ here as this messianic king with all their messianic shouts and declarations and claims. As one commentator explains here, and as numerous other commentators have also pointed out, these people here, church, at this time, quite simply do not understand what kind of salvation that he, Jesus Christ, would ultimately bring. Since, as we can see, these people were looking for the coming kingdom of their father, David, and not that of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to inaugurate. And thus, because of that, we can determine that these people then were looking merely for a return to the glory days of Israel, when David and Solomon ruled a united Jewish kingdom renowned for its wealth and military might and for a kingdom that was primary physical and geopolitical in nature. And thus, although our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did indeed come into this world from the line of David in order to establish a house and a kingdom and a throne that would have no end but instead would endure forever and ever and ever. Second Samuel chapter 7, 
For that did not mean that Jesus Christ would also then automatically here, church, come to power politically or conquer and destroy foreign enemies militarily or free and liberate the people of Israel nationally since Jesus Christ did not come into this world to merely save his people from their political enemies, church, but instead to save his people from their very sin. I read a story this week, church, by Lewis Banks about a pastor who once visited a prison called the Tombs or the prison located in lower Manhattan in order to preach to the inmates there. And after he had finished preaching, the pastor then began going around and talking with a number of men in the cells. And he asked each prisoner this question, for what brought you here? And again and again and again, he received replies like this. Oh, I don't deserve to be here. Or I was framed. Or that I was falsely accused. Or that I was given an unfair trial. For not one inmate would admit that he was guilty. That is until finally, the pastor found a man with his face buried in his hands and weeping. What's wrong, my friend, the pastor asked. To which the prisoner responded by saying, My sins are more than I can bear. Relieved to find at least one man who would recognize his guilt and his need of forgiveness, the pastor then exclaimed, Thank God for that. To which this pastor then had the joy of pointing this prisoner to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A knowledge that saved and released and freed this prisoner from the shackles of his sin. And thus when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took on flesh and broke into this world as truly God and as truly man, for he did not do so church in order to just save the Jews from their political enemies, because in all honesty, church, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Lion of the tribe of Judah to do just that, would be far too little of an accomplishment for him here on earth. And thus because of that, when this Jesus Christ, this lion of the tribe of Judah, did indeed come into this world, for he did so in order to save all people groups, church. People groups from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, and not just to save them, church, from that of their political enemies, but instead to save them, church, from that of their very sin, give them the gift of eternal life, and to reconcile them back to their holy God. Forever. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I want to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, how exactly Jesus Christ did indeed save people groups from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation from their very sins. And he, Jesus Christ, accomplished that non-Christian by coming into this world and breaking into this world and being born into this world as truly God and as truly man and initially living for us the life that we could never live. And that the law of God that we as sinners transgress 
and break and abuse each and every day. Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he never broke that law once, but instead lived a holy and righteous and sinless life here on earth and in doing so, fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely, all for the very children of God. However, simply because Jesus Christ was able to keep the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that in and of itself non-Christian was not enough to save sinners from their sins. Since the wage of our sin non-Christian, or the cost of our sin non-Christian, Romans 6.23, is that of death. And thus because of that, Jesus Christ, that non-Christian, willingly paid that price for our sin by laying down his life by being nailed to and crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute in order to appease the wrath of a holy God all toward his sinful children, which is exactly what the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary did. And thus because of that non-Christian, Because this Jesus Christ then, this sinless Son of God, appeased then the wrath of a holy God all toward the very children of God. Three days later then, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, since sin and death had absolutely no power over him, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can cleanse you of your sin, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, and the only one who died in your place, clothed you in his righteousness and then reconciled you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, For as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so by considering at this time that since we have a Messiah in Jesus Christ, who not only came into this world to fulfill the law and the prophets, but also then to save us from our sins and to reconcile us back to a holy God forever, For what then, Christian, in light of all that, should our response be then to this God-man named Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question is, as Daniel Aiken pointed out, we should respond to him with that of praise, with wholehearted, truly devoted, never-ending, always-end-forever praise. And yet, how often do we see Christians today openly praising their 
favorite politicians more than they praise Jesus Christ. Or openly praising their favorite political party more than they praise Jesus Christ. Or openly praising their favorite football team, their favorite TV show, or their favorite actor, actress, or even that of singer more than they praise Jesus Christ. As if any of those people, church, were the ones who had saved them from their sins. And thus lovingly, my question then to you all here this morning... Brother Christian, sister Christian, is this. For who do you praise and whose splendor do you declare all the day long? For who do you praise and whose splendor do you declare all the day long? For is it the splendor of the Republican or the Democratic Party that you praise all the day long or the splendor of a certain worldview or philosophical position that you praise all the day long or the splendor of a famous scientist or famous athlete or actor, Apple product, TV show or social media platform that you praise all the day long or is it the splendor of the sovereign Son of God Himself, Jesus Christ, that you praise All the day long. Because if you truly do believe this morning. Brother Christian. Sister Christian. That Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah. And the son of the most high God. Who takes away the sins of the world. Who seeks and who saves the lost. And who reconciles sinners back to their holy God forever. Then your most natural and most reasonable and most sensible response to this God man named Jesus Christ. Should be that of praise. Whereas you praise him with your heart Christian. And you praise him with your soul. Where you praise him with your words Christian and you praise him with your deeds where you praise him in your thoughts Christian and you praise him in your prayers and where you even praise him among the nations Christian and you praise his name all the day long since there is salvation in no one else and no other name by which we can be saved by other than the king of kings the lord of lords and this lion from the tribe of Judah himself Jesus Christ. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body simply continue to grow and to grow and to grow in our understanding this morning of who exactly this man named Jesus Christ truly is. And that he and he alone truly is the Messiah who came into this world to fulfill the law, to fulfill the prophets, and to do the will of his heavenly Father. Even to the point that he willingly gave his life up as a ransom for many on a cross at Calvary, all in order to save the children of God from their very sins. Not from some political power, nor even from some military might, but instead to save us from our sin and to reconcile us back to our God forever. And thus let the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this gospel message this morning, Lord, strike us at our core, bring us to our knees, and let our response now and forevermore be one of worship and adulation and praise to the King of Kings, the Lord of of lords, and yes, to this lion of the tribe of Judah himself, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, open our eyes this morning. Lord, as we have heard this story, many of us, all the way back to as we were children in Sunday school, Jesus Christ coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey, on a road lined in cloaks and palm branches. Father, let us not be dull to the beauty of this story, that in doing so, Jesus Christ, fulfilled the prophecy about him from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that the Messiah would come to his people riding in on a donkey to bring peace, humbly coming to his people, to save them, not from political enemies or military might, but to save them from their sins, the greatest gift that we could receive. Father, let us be in all of this story that we have heard over and over and over again. See the depth of it and the weight of it. How it showcases Jesus Christ as sovereign and omniscient and all-knowing and in control of everything as he procures this donkey, knowing exactly what waits before him in Jerusalem and also perfectly in control of all that since no one takes the life of Jesus Christ, but he lays it down and he has the authority to take it right back up again, which is exactly what he did. And thus those who place their faith in him have no reason to fear death, since there is life, eternal life, in Jesus' name and his name alone. Father, grow us in our understanding of who your son Jesus Christ is. And then let us just respond naturally with praise and worship and adulation to our King, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.